0: The book of Proverbs covers a wide variety of topics that help us choose to live wisely in every conceivable circumstance. Let's join Pastor Ross now as we pick up in chapter 23 of our verse-by-verse study through the book of Proverbs. All right, you can make your way to Proverbs 23. We are going to get started with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word and this collection of wisdom known as the Proverbs, just uh, to keep us safe, Lord, to show us the straight and narrow path that leads to life and help us to avoid the pitfalls that end in, with such pain and problems and suffering. We do the right thing, Lord. You're, you're just so faithful to guard us in all of our ways and help us to hear what your spirit is saying tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, from time to time, people ask me, what has been your favorite book of the Bible to preach through? And uh, the answer really has been Revelation, uh, which was a big surprise to me because I avoided it for so many years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it just a little daunting and intimidating, but it turned out to be quite a delight. And the same is true with Proverbs. It's right up there with my favorite uh, book to teach and preach from. Um, I didn't think it would be that way because of the unique nature of Proverbs, a collection of dozens and dozens and dozens, especially in the middle part from chapter 10 to chapter 29, that buckshot of little, brief, pithy sayings of what's wise and smart and blessed and what's in the Bible's wording, what's stupid and dumb and foolish that brings a lot of pain and suffering. And it's just so nice to have uh, these uh, things at our fingertips to find out how we could live a blessed life And the other thing I really like about Proverbs is uh, the wide range of topics. Everything you could imagine from personal finances and as you've been seeing and hearing, getting along with your spouse, uh, raising kids, dealing with obnoxious or irritating people, uh, even to your private thoughts, controlling our temper, controlling our tongue, how to overcome temptation. Is there a topic that uh, Proverbs does not cover? Well, how about table manners? (laughs) Verse one. (laughs) When you sit to dine with a ruler, not not one of these measuring devices. (laughs) When you sit to dine with someone important, influential, big shot, a CEO, a dignitary, Note well what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Let's talk about that. Yes, table manners are in view here, but of course, and obviously a whole lot more is going on here as well. So yes, self-control in our thoughts and our words, but also even at the dinner table. And this is not just any dinner table. It's a uh, you're a guest at somebody who's powerful or influential. Uh, so. There's always a call in the Proverbs to be self-aware and discerning about people around you and your own circumstances. Uh, To be aware, to be discerning. Uh, And here is a call to uh, appropriate social graces that are fitting and proper for the situation that you're in. And in turn, that will guard your reputation and help advance you socially or whatever the uh, situation is. So out comes, you're sitting with the ruler, and out comes uh, lobster and caviar and Kobe beef and uh, all of the favorite things, uh, you know, foie gras. You know, I don't even know how to, I had to Google it to find out how to say it, you know, but uh, supposedly it's like the top five favorite foods and the luxurious foods in the whole earth. Well, you start scarfing down out of control and your eyes are big and and you're like, whoa, caviar and just, yeah, and you just clear the plate. He says... "Uh, Note well what's before you, man. I mean, slow down. I mean, if you're that hungry, stop it in and out on the way. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, you just social etiquette and promptings and cues are important. And when you disregard them... Uh, to put a knife to your throat is to end end it all. You've ruined everything. If you know, if he's invited you, even for good intentions, which it doesn't sound like, but uh, if he's invited you for good intentions, you've ruined everything because you, you're not a person who can see beyond your own uh, five feet in front of you of how people are perceiving your actions. So you're making a big deal about all of this and... Really, it's disgraceful behavior that will marginalize you. And so that's the idea here. But wait, there's more to this verse. All right. Another reason for self control uh, at the CEO's uh, table is that he says that kind of food can be deceptive. So don't crave it. Be careful, be discerning. Now, consider why are you at the table? Does, uh, what does he or she want? From you? Is he trying to wine and dine you? And that's the idea here. We even have a saying in English, you know, uh, be careful about somebody who wants to wine and dine you because they want something out of you. So uh, here's the point. People who crave luxury or have a soft spot in their heart for money and for, for the finer things of life, you're, you're more easily compromised morally than if you just had contentment. Note well what's before you and use contentment and self-control to guide you. Next verse, four through five. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, poof, and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And everybody said... Amen. Easy come, easy go sometimes. So, uh, along the same lines, safeguard uh, of contentment and, and here's moderation. Wisdom to know what's really important to go after in life. If you want to knock yourself out in life, be, a, be the best spouse, be the best dad on the planet, be the best Christian. Be the holiest person in the church. Knock yourself out for those kinds of ambitions. Ambitions that matter, that are important, that are God-given. But do not knock yourself out and weary yourself and sacrifice. This is the idea. You're sacrificing what's really important for something that is a byproduct. Yes, a blessing, but it's never, wealth is never meant to be the goal it's not the goal. God doesn't have a problem with money. Proverbs doesn't have a money. A pro, 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 proverbs does not have a problem with wealth. In fact, it says if you live certain ways, you're more likely to prosper. And this is the good thing. So it's always about how did you, it's always about your heart with money. It's always about how did you get it. Was it moral or immoral? And how are you stewarding it? For yourself or for others and for the purposes of God? So, yeah, that's what he's saying here. He's saying uh, don't sacrifice true wealth, which is your family, which is your relationship with God. Worshiping on the Sabbath. Oh, no, I can't. You know, time and money. I can't. I I mean, praise God for guys who own... uh, Restaurants like Chick-fil-A who says, you know what? Money's not everything. We're going to shut down on Sundays. This is what he's talking about. And, and here's the reason why you wouldn't sacrifice and run after money is because it's, un, it's temporary and it's unreliable. It's undependable. I, I was doing a little search and I found out on, uh, on, right after Brexit happened, the very wealthy lost billions, with a B, overnight, gone. Diminished their fortunes by billions of dollars. It was in the account one day, and the next day, because of something beyond their control, poof, gone. And that's why Jesus says, don't bank on money, don't make it, don't serve the master, can't be money, because money's not going to bail your soul out when you're standing at the end of your life. Money can't save and deliver. Money is so, <laughs> uh, so fleeting. And so, so you just can't, you know. The fool says in his heart, you know, uh, you ask him how much money is enough money. And they always answer the same. Just a little bit more. Right. You see? And so uh, let me exit out of this with, but godliness, New Testament parallel passage, godliness being like Christ, being a Christian with contentment's great gain for we brought nothing into the world we can take nothing out but if we have food and clothing we will be content with that what? try telling that to a 21st century American food, clothing, shelter that's all you need that's the Bible wow those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money not money. People misquote this all the time. Money is the root of all evil? No, it's not. It's the love of money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from Jesus and the faith and the church and the gospel and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so that's what he's saying here. Do just have the wisdom to know what's important, what's temporal, what's dependable, what's not dependable. Jesus says, shoot for the things where robbers can't sneak in and grab it and take it and destroy your life. Amen? Let's move on. Six through eight. Do not eat. Here we are again, back to to this idea. Do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies, for he's the kind of guy who's always thinking about the cost. He says, eat and drink. Yeah, let's uh, go for it. He says that to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the little you have eaten and will have wasted your compliments. Well, this is my favorite verse in the chapter. <laughs> Come on, you've got to love this one, right? So another call for discernment to be spiritually aware of the character of the people around you and the circumstances you find yourself into. He says, son, you'd be better off declining an invitation of an affluent host at a big dinner party or celebration or feast, who you know is a tight wad, that he doesn't really, he isn't sincere because his lack of sincerity would make for a most unpleasant evening. He's the kind of guy who's got the calculator going when you're over, he's calculating the PG&E bill because, you know, you, you know, it's got to be warm in the house. And every bite you hear in his brain, you know, how much that bite is going to cost him and the sip, right? And so how many people... No, 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 no. no. <laughs> now, if you're wise, you've figured it out ahead of time. And if you're wise, you realize... If he's stingy in a tightwad, why is he spreading an expensive banquet out and inviting me in the first place? That is contrary to his nature. Therefore, he is not wanting to celebrate with me and me with him. He's wanting something out of me. He's gonna wine and dine me, right? And then this is what he's saying. So you scarf it down because you're oblivious you're just like hey you know who wouldn't invite me to a banquet you know kind oh, of a nice guy of course you know even though even though he's a stingy guy he's going to reach deep in there for me you know that's that's not wise All right, that's the definition of the other word. And and so you scarf it down, you scarf it down, and then everybody comes and removes the plates, and you've got a little cup of coffee there, and you're you're having the coffee, and he scoots back and he says, Now, about so-and-so and and about such-and-such, I was just wondering if you could do me a little bit of a favor and turn a blind eye to my illegal maneuvering. I'm just wondering if you could rush that project through with the paperwork and all of that stuff, right? And so he says, you're going to wish, you're going to get sick because you just scarfed it all down. And aha, now you realize, duh, he used you and you you scarfed it all down. You're going to want to give it back to him. (laughs) All six courses, you're going to want to deliver it back up and out and into his lap and overflowing. Amen. I mixed the metaphor there. Verse 9, do not speak to a fool, for he'll scorn the wisdom of your words. Well. We've been told to speak to a fool or a time or two in the Proverbs, but uh, here's the point of you'll have to discern what kind of fool you're talking to. Is this a fool who's got some temporary foolishness going on? Who's, Who's open? Who wants to hear? Who God has called you to rebuke? You know, you have to figure it out. And so there's discernment. This discernment is crucial uh, when correcting or rebuking or confronting somebody. So it's very interesting that we're being called to be good stewards of wise counsel. He's saying oh, the Bible, Bible's words, Jesus' words, use them uh, with discretion. You don't just throw them out with somebody who's hostile and closed-minded and has already told you I'm not interested in that? Jesus told us, he said, be careful throwing pearl necklaces out before swine. They don't appreciate pearls. What are they gonna do with something sacred and precious? They're gonna trample it. And then Jesus goes on there in Matthew chapter seven to say, not only will they trample your good, precious words, and first of all, they're not yours. That's why he's telling you how to use them. They're his pearls. And he says, please don't just throw them out so that the swine can trample them. And then he warns and he says, then they'll turn and tear you to pieces for he will scorn the wisdom of your words. How dare you criticize my lifestyle and he'll come after you. He says, there's no need to put yourself unnecessarily in harm's way. When there's a fool who is closed and does not appreciate the value of your prayers, your love, God's concern, something else has to happen there uh, or you're wasting uh, your time. He'll, he'll, you're gonna get verbally assaulted. Uh, sometimes you have to get verbally assaulted. And sometimes God is telling me, keep talking. I feel it. I know when God says, pull back. And I know when God says, even if there's a little heat and God wants me still engaged, I've been doing this a while. I know that feeling of take the heat. You have to take a little heat here, right? But you have to learn to discern his voice when dealing with people who are doing the wrong thing. Uh, Verses 10 through 11 We've seen this before. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless for their defender, the word is redeemer, is strong. He will take up their case against you. So here's a warning, once again, not to take advantage of the weak. And in this case, it's an orphan. It's a fatherless person. The father's died. Dad has died. The property was marked with boundary stones. And so what happened was the idea of eminent domain kind of thing. People would come in. There's no dad. There's no older brother. They're just a widow and some little kid, right? Well, we're taking your property. So they would move the boundary stones and encroach upon their land. And and the Holy Spirit just says, heads up. The appearance is there's nobody to defend them. But I'm going to defend them. And I will litigate against you. The Lord's saying, I will haul you into my courtroom and I'll deal with you because I'm their lawyer. <laughs> I'm their goel in Hebrew. It's kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer was the guy who, uh, when, the, when the family fell on tough times and there was no dad and there was no older brother and, 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 and oh, the whole world is turned against this poor little family, the kinsman redeemer came in and he—he he, uh, boy, he was the man, right? And he's saying, "You know who's the man of those widows and the fatherless and the powerless and the weak and the poor and the disenfranchised? It's me. Do not mess with the Lord." Yes. Amen? Amen. Be nice to needy people. It's not that hard. Verses uh, 12. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. And so um, here we have uh, a New Testament concept here. Take a look at it this way. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. But he's going to say you're going to have to be a doer of the word. So he's saying apply. Now, there are people here tonight who are listening. They're gaining knowledge. But they will not apply it. They will. It happens every Sunday and every Wednesday. They're learning something, they walk away with some knowledge, but to apply it is to be sitting there thinking, God, oh, I'm sorry, I missed it there. Oh, I want to change. I want to learn. I want to grow. I'm going to do some sort of inventory tonight before I go to sleep. I'm going to get down on my knees and say, thank you, Lord, for that message. And here's where I need to work on that. And you're intentional about being here. You're hanging on the words and saying, I'm all ears. I'm applying this. And tomorrow morning, you're going to go into your life with a different sense because you got up a dozen or so new concepts to put into practice. He said, unless you have that kind of attitude, it's not gonna help you. Okay, moving on, 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul. From death. And so we've been down this road, right? We did a little parenting seminar uh, last time uh, based on these same sort of principles. Uh, The importance of parental discipline, once again. The best place to learn right from wrong is when the jello is still jiggling. Not, not, not when it's totally in the mold, all right? When the concrete has not set up, when a, a child is young in grade school, that kind of time, that's the time to start teaching them right from wrong. And the greatest way you can do that is for them to associate bad, rebellious, disobedient, defiant, lazy, lying, all of that to associate with a very unpleasant encounter. Amen? Amen. Moving on, verses 15 and 16. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. So here's the effect, and we've seen it a lot. This is important to the Lord because he repeats it. The effect the behavior of grown-up children has upon their parents Uh, a point the Holy Spirit really wants to make. Now, this wisdom or observation or truth is only useful when the son or daughter still values the relationship with the parent, right? This is pre-sinning. Advice when the, when the little kid uh, or the young man or the young woman looks to dad and mom with, with, with love and admiration and God is working on the natural inclination of a little boy or a little girl to love and to almost idolize mommy and daddy, this is the time he's saying to those young kids who just look to dad and mom like, oh, wow, dad and mom, who's closer than dad or mom? They gave us life and they provide everything and everything. We would be dead without mom and dad, right? And they're looking at mom and dad and they said, the son says to, the father says to the son, son, if you really want to make me happy, down deep, then you'll live for God and you'll put all this, these truths into practice, you know? It's an appeal to the God-given desire to want to please parents. There are men Some men in this world who could be moved to tears because they did not get their father's approval. That's a natural thing that most men, I'm speaking as a man, want to know dad is proud. Dad admires that boy. They don't want to feel like they let their dad down, you see? So God, the Holy Spirit, is working with that natural inclination to say, come on, you you wouldn't want to hurt that man. You wouldn't want to despise uh, that woman. And so he's saying, relieve me of the anxiety or that unrelenting stress or anguish to be wondering about the destiny of your soul, son. Just take that burden off of me so I don't have to live 24-7 wondering heaven or hell or what terrible nightmare is going to befall you because you're snubbing your nose at the living God. Don't don't let that be my lot. That's what he's saying there. Let your lips speak what is right. Be a gracious and kind uh, person, a God-fearing person. Verses 17 and 18, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. And so now to one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. And it says, really, there's a pitfall, a deadly way of thinking here is to envy sinners because you may be tempted to wonder, is my Christian life worth it? I mean, I came to Christ. I've lost a lot of stuff. I live a self-denying life, a life that uh, I pick up my cross and follow, and I'm doing all this stuff, and bam, things are happening to me while the godless person is living in luxury and has a strong and healthy body, and they're attractive and beautiful, and they're going to exotic places, and they're atheists. What is going on? I'm doing all the right things, and I'm a disciplined person, and I'm suffering. And they are living high on the hog, doing whatever they want, thumbing their nose at the Lord, and they're... Blessed, or so it seems. Now, well, listen to what the psalmist said. And it's a, it's a, I've got it up here for you. So the psalmist says, I almost lost my faith in God. Let me tell you about it in a little poem I wrote. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, almost stopped being a Christian. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They don't have struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills, or so it seems. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity or sin. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance and They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the most high know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure. And I've washed my hands in innocence, all in vain for nothing. All day long I'm afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. When I try to understand all this, how it works, it troubled me to no end till I entered the sanctuary of God. Till I went to church one day. Then I was sitting there and the preacher's talking, the Bible's open. And then I understood their final destiny Oh, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. Those who are far from you will perish. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. Amen. Amen. My good friends, it is not all as it appears to be. In Hollywood, (laughs) in Washington, (laughs) and on entertainment tonight. (laughs) Let me just assure you, just fast forward the tape. Oh, my word, then you'll be glad for every time you denied self, every time you picked up your cross, and every time you chose to follow Jesus. Because in the end, you, the verse says, back to the verse, The the verse says, you have a destiny. You have a future. There's no future there for them. They got it while they were here. Done. Let's move on. 19 through 21. Listen, my son, be wise. Keep your heart on the right path. Don't join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. So, an exhortation. notice. The boy's on the straight and narrow path to begin with, but he has to be lured off course. And what the Holy Spirit thinks is going to do that to him is the baser passions in life that the world is just lighting up like a Christmas tree all around that poor kid. And it's just the animal passions, pleasures of excessive drinking and partying and self-indulgence. He's saying, listen, young man, you're going to see clips on the news about spring break and you're going to hear about Mardi Gras and you, some friends are going to go to Vegas and they're going to come back to you. You've got testosterone. You're a man. You're going to hear these stories and it's going to be attractive. I want to tell you that the end of that story is poverty, poverty of spirit, poverty in life. Don't go down that road, he says, uh, you'll never get ahead when you're out of control. And so that's really it. When you're out of control with wine or food or material goods or shopping, just fill in the blank. When you're out of control, there's usually a deeper reason. And, and God gives us Christian counselors to help us get to why we why we go off into these excessive um, binges. But he says, when you're an excessively given to excessive things like that, you're never going to get ahead. So control yourself or someone else uh, will or someone or something else will. Verses 22 to 25, we're back to mom and dad. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she's old. Buy that truth and don't sell it. Get wisdom, discipline and understanding the father of someone who's right with God, who walks right with God, has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth uh, rejoice. And so now we're talking once again, 22 through 25, about an appeal to the heart, to really the Holy Spirit, to utilize that parent-child bond um, to help the child to be on the straight and narrow path where there's blessing. So he's saying, listen, let me give you a reason you want to listen to dear old dad, who's assumedly a, a, a believer and a godly man, all right? He's, he's a healthy, loving, God-fearing dad. Here's a reason you want to listen to him. Because no one in this world, not one person, gave you life except him. And he loves you in a way that nobody else could ever love you because he, from his body, you came into existence. So nobody has your back. Nobody's going to tell you the truth like your godly father. So listen to your dad. He gave you life. He, He doesn't have ulterior motives like many around you do. His one motive is to spare you grief and agony and troubles. Listen to him. And then he says, and, and don't, look at this, the thing about your, you don't despise your mother when she's old. What does that mean? Your mother, your godly, healthy, loving mother, oh, son or daughter, has now, she's at the other end of her life. She's old now, right? But what was she doing when she wasn't old? She was investing in you. She was giving birth, it says, to you. You owe your existence and and 18, 20 plus years of nurturing and sacrifice all for you. And now she's old and she has wrinkles. Where do you think she got those wrinkles? (laughs) She got old in the process of pouring her heart into you, and you want to cause her pain. She's on this side of her life. She did her part on this side of life, and now you have a moral obligation to live up to what she did to pour herself into you. Now that she's old and in her declining years, you're going to despise her and let her go to her deathbed, anguished and hurt, and betrayed, and humiliated? How could you do that? The answer is, sin will turn you into a beast. It will turn you into a numbed up, godless monster that only cares about your own gratification. That's what sin will do. So do not play around with it. Do not click where you should not go, gentlemen. Do not play around with sin because you will think I would never do X, Y, and Z. You will. Sin will make you crazy to where all the bad guys are actually the guys who really love you. And all the ones who really love you now are your adversaries because you're upside down, because you're spiritually insane. Because why? That's what sin will do to you. Do you want to stab your dad? Do you want to stab your mama? Obey God. And let their declining years be free of that kind of anguish, but rather be busting their buttons and pride—a good pride. Moving on, my son, give you my give me. Look at this, my son. He's talking to a teenage boy. Boy, give me your heart, not her. Not the woman who's going to, the strange woman, it says, who's, who's going to lead you astray. Look at me, son. Look at me, teenage boy. I know, I know your head it just went, whoa. And he says, no, 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 no. Give your heart over here. Don't give your heart over there. For a prostitute is a deep pit and a wayward wife is a narrow well. Live like a bandit. She, will, she lies in wait and multiplies the unfaithful among men. Wow. 26 through 28. So dad's pleading. He says, listen, the adulteress or the person who tempts somebody to be sexually immoral, the seducer, Is a deep pit and and you don't always see it coming. And it's this analogy, we talked about this before, because he uses it a lot. You know, they dig a deep pit to go hunting and they camouflage it. And then suddenly this guy, you know, falls into it, and there are bamboo shoots that are down there just waiting to impale. And so he says, Watch out for that. It's a trap. It's a it's a deep pit and it's dangerous, but it's a narrow well. Check this out. A narrow well, sexual immorality. easy to fall into, but difficult to get out. That's what this verse means. Oh, so easy to fall. You don't even have to do anything. All you have to do is just to boom, and done. Right? But try climbing out of some narrow well. You can't even squeeze yourself through. You're just, you're trapped, is what he's trying to say. And, and by the way, that person doesn't love you. All the flattering, all the speech, they're using you. They, they're going to rob your, 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 your something precious from you. They're going to take your family. They're going to take your spouse. They're going to take your kids. You're going to see them as visitation. That's what he's saying. Just don't think, oh, she loves me like nobody else loves me. No, 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 she doesn't. She's got her own brokenness, her own in- intentions, and her own desires, and it's, it's not for you. Not for you. And and how would you like to get summed up, your life summed up, that because of you, there are more unfaithful people on the planet because you stumbled them? Wow, you know what? Fellas, this ought to help you. You can, you can say that pornography, if you want to personalize or personify, I should say, pornography, you've got the woman of folly. Does it doesn't matter if she's standing on a street corner or if she's in your living room on your office computer? She's there. You're doing the same thing. It's only, it's just location and virtual or, or in the flesh. You see? So you have to be really careful because many are her victims and she is brought down. Listen to what uh, the, song, the, the proverb said earlier. Her slain are a mighty throng. Do you know how many people have been taken down by sexual immorality? A gavillion. Do you know how many that is? That's more than a gazillion. <laughs> <laughs> the stats there are ginormous to use another word. (laughs) A mighty throng? I don't even know what that is. I had to look that up. Do you know what it means? Countless. You can't count them. Are you one of them? Are you one of those dupes? Like the rest of the whole earth? you just think, well, everybody does it. Yeah. That's what it says. Everybody does it. Except godly people who don't want to fall into pits And narrow wells where they get trapped and destroy their lives. By the look on your faces, I need to move on. (laughs) You're like, please, bear me. Well, we're gonna finish up with a with a beautiful little sonnet, an ode to sobriety. (laughs) What a nice way to close up tonight. So he's gonna do a little poem about being a drunk. Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife? Who has complaints, who has needless bruises? Question, who has bloodshot eyes? Let me give you an answer. Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Don't gaze at the wine when it's red, ruby red, and sparkles in the cup when it goes down smoothly, because in the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes always gonna see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? I wrote it in there. It's in the Hebrew. You have to look really, really. <laughs> you have to look like with a microscope. <laughs> okay, no, it's not. So here's some satire. The Lord never uh, gives us a satirical humor uh, for the sake of ridiculing a person. He does it to help instill a little bit of a chuckle to say, do you really want to live like that? Is that really who you are? Is that really your goal in life? Is this really you? Think about it. Here's some warning. So the questions are really observations. They're rhetorical questions. We already know what the answer is. And so he starts out with saying, okay, let me ask you some questions. Who's got, lull?" The word woe there in Hebrew is an onomatopoeia word, which means it's like, it's a groaning word. All right, so who groans a lot? Who's always sighing with anguish and despair? It's really the heavy drinker. It's, it, it, it's an alcoholic, if you want to call it uh, that. So uh, why are they groaning? Because they've gotten themselves into a terrible mess again. Uh, who has sorrow, he says. You know, the word there means a sadness brought on by regret or loss. Somebody drinks too much? They got sorrow. The saddest uh, quote here, the, saddest, the sadness of an alcoholic rivals all other causes of sadness. Since the grief that comes to the drinker is self-induced, they are choosing to ruin their lives one drink at a time, like a train wreck in slow motion. Who has strife? The word there just means to argue, fight, confusion, insults, inflammatory, chaos, ruined relationships. Uh, Yeah, somebody who drinks too much. Uh, Complaints, the word there is a grievance or discontentment. It means bitter complaining about everything. And no one does that better than someone who's under the influence of a depressant. It depresses you. Now, let me say this to all you Napa Valley Sonoma, uh, (laughs) Sonoma Sonomaites. All right, listen. And I know, listen. The Bible says that God gave the gift of wine to gladden hearts of mankind. And many times in the Proverbs, there's a positive word or analogy about wine. And just like sexual intimacy is a gift and it can be so joyous and so wondrous and so beautiful and such a blessing it used improperly those gifts turn into from a blessing to the most horrifying curse and nightmare the most destructive things on the planet are blessings of God, misused and misappropriated and used, turned around and twisted and perverted. Watch out, because there's no prohibition against wine and beer. There is none. Now, a stronger drink, you know, you're going to get into a lot of controversy about that. I personally... Uh, I, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> But did you get where I was going with that? About stronger drinks for Christians? I don't Thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, moving on. So with that, there's no prohibition against wine and beer. But there's a prohibition always about drunk and, and excessiveness. And now here he's just going to say, he, he he gives us the answer now, right? So the question is, who's got painful injuries? Who's got needless humiliation? Who's got bloodshot eyes means it's bad for your body as well. It makes you unattractive, bloodshot eyes, right? And also it's causing a problem in there. All right, so it's unhealthy and unattractive. So who's unhealthy and unattractive? The question is, who's got painful injuries, needless humiliations, trouble and strife and accidents and guilt and fights and conflicts and health issues and broken relationships and jail time? Answer, people who drink too much, problem drinkers. People don't know how to say no, how to stop. And if you don't know how to stop or to moderate, then you should abstain. That's what it, or, or go on. Here's what he says. It's that person who linger, here, here. Verse 30 is answering the question. Here's what, who we're talking about. Somebody who lingers over wine, it, it means there's inordinate time spent with the alcohol. You're spending way too much time drinking. That's the idea there. And you're so preoccupied. Oh, let's go wine tasting, wine tasting, wine tasting, wine tasting. There's nothing wrong for a normal Christian who's healthy and enjoys it the way it should be enjoyed to go wine tasting. Not a problem. It's the person who has an unhealthy preoccupation. That's what the verse means. It's just everywhere they go, that's all they see and think about is wine, wine, wine. When's that all going to happen? And so he says, watch out for that. By the way, these are not my words. They're the Lord's words. I didn't write those things, and it's not my opinion. I'm just telling you what it says, okay? Some of your faces, I'm just saying, some of your faces. Are just, you know, you just look a little defensive, okay, so. <laughs> Time for advice. He says, listen, you who have a problem with this. Don't be charmed by it. Don't be charmed by an attractive woman. Don't be charmed by the delicacies on the table. Don't be charmed by the influence of a ruler. Don't be charmed by the ruby red look in the commercials. I mean, come on. I mean, you are not going to get that girl after you watch that beer commercial. You, you're not going to get her. You're not going to get the truck. You're not going to live in that house. <laughs> Oh, my word. <laughs> he says, watch out for all of that. And it goes down smooth. It could be delicious, right? But he says, if you're the problem person, that, that smoothness is going to end up as a snake. And what the thing about the snake is you don't see it coming. Nobody wakes up and says, you know what? I'm going to become an alcoholic. That's my goal in life. Nobody says that. Nobody says, I'm going to get drunk tonight and go kill somebody in my car. I'm just going to go for a little drive and run somebody over. Because the snake comes, the snake comes, and says, Oh, it's silky. Did you catch the long S with the hiss? <laughs> I threw that in there for you. So he says, Watch out for that. Watch out. Watch out. Be smart. Stop with the justifying. I'm bite you, that's what it says. Uh, verses 33 through 35 painful consequences are reiterated. You're going to see strange things. In other words, you're going to hallucinate. You're going to imagine things. You're going to get confused. Your mind and your perception is going to be uh, warped. You know, you're going to see strange sights, like an officer standing over you at the intersection. Okay, they're going to be strange sights, like your wife serving you divorce papers. That's a strange sight, you know. So, okay. <laughs> I got an amen over there somewhere. <laughs> okay. Now, here's a colorful metaphor. He says, listen, the inebriated, Ineviated... The inebriated person... <laughs> The aneminated person is like somebody who's asleep on the high seas. The high seas is like, whoa, okay? Uh, they're not just on the ship. And you do not want to be on the high seas, unconscious, sleeping. This is the idea. You have not your wits about you to help you. You're out on the high seas sleeping. And where are you sleeping? You're not just sleeping on the, at the, on the deck. You're up in the crow's nest. You're up high in the top of the rigging, where there's no, there's no place to hold on, and you're like you're this, you know. And there's only one thing that happens to somebody who's like this, right? What happens? You get sick and throw up all over the place. That's what he's talking about. Don't be. Don't look at me so surprised. That kind of undulation and. Rocking and all of that, you are going to end up getting sick. I was talking to, uh, I wasn't talking to them. I was eavesdropping, actually. Um, <laughs> they're sick. They. I'm in a. I was in a locker room in a gym, and they are here and here, right here talking. So I mean, what do you do, right? Okay. So I listened. and that <laughs> guys. I told you this before. Two young guys who are saying, you know, we went down to um, Tijuana, wherever they went for spring break, and they got so wasted, right? And they got alcohol poisoning, and they're laughing back and forth. Dude, I had to have my stomach pumped, and he's like, oh, awesome, you know. I was like, he had to have his stomach pumped. They had to call their dads, right? to come down because they got thrown in jail. They had their stomachs pumped. They, they lost like the car, you know, it got impounded. And the dad had to come down and get them, pay the towing fees. And, and they're like high-fiving each other. Like, wow, that was awesome because this is a fool. These are fools who will wake up from the nightmare and say, let's do it again. Let's do it again because that was awesome. I didn't find anything awesome about the description. I really didn't. And so he says, listen, you're going to say things like, I got beat up, but I didn't feel it. You will as soon as the anesthesia wears off. (laughs) You will feel it. The saddest of all, the whole line is, the dude can't wait to wake up and do it all again. Listen. The Bible calls alcoholism a moral problem first. I agree. Send your email somewhere other than me when I say this. (laughs) I agree it's a medical problem. How can you deny? But first, it's a moral problem. Then it's a medical problem. And then it's a moral problem. It's always a moral problem, even when it becomes a medical problem. Because here's the Bible solution. Get filled with the Holy Spirit Yield to him. Say no. Get rid of it. Stop it. And the Lord will give you the power to back that up. I think the takeaway for tonight, then for me, the one-minute takeaway, is your heart. You know, he said, give me your heart. You know, where who's got your heart? was the direction of your life? You anchored down deep on the straight and narrow path with the heart just filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Lord has you? Or is the world calling and the heart being swayed this way and that way. Be careful. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love. Thank you, Lord, that you have our hearts. And we give them afresh and anew to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast.